But this emotion that we're talking about, remember we're in a teaching series called Emotional Intelligence. We're looking at the full range of human emotions as we see them in scripture and how do we as Christians kind of sift those and and walk in the spirit, give those over to the Lord and allow God to shape us to be more like Jesus in our emotions. The emotion we're thinking about today, try and see if you can guess it. It makes your palms sweaty. It makes your heart beat a little faster as adrenaline courses through your veins. This emotion makes you stay up late at night sometimes. It might gray your hair over time. It also produces things like greed and selfishness and control. And, and often there's all kinds of foolish decisions that, be, that come because of this emotion. What is this emotion? Anxiety. anxiety. Today we're going to be thinking about anxiety. So this morning we're getting the live stream going and it's not working. And so I'm feeling anxious because it's not happening we sent out the first link. You probably have it in your phone. You'll see. We sent out the first link this morning and then sent out the second one. And then I hope we just got a third one sent out. Levi, okay, thumbs up. We're good to go. So if you're on YouTube, thank you for our patient, your patience. And uh, we're, we're glad that you're tuning in as well. But how would you define anxiety? What marks anxiety? Well, biblically, uh, in the New Testament, in the Greek language, anxiety is this word merimneo or merimna. And it means to be fearfully worried fearfully concerned. And most often, anxiety is actually seen as a a negative emotion to be avoided for the Christian. It's it's never seen as a good thing. Whereas most of the emotions that we've seen so far are seen as something that uh, could be good or it can be harmful, it can be sinful. Whereas uh, negative or this emotion of anxiety is almost always negative. And I will give one caveat. There are a couple of verses in the New Testament that use anxiety, merimna, or merimneo, as a a positive emotion. Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 7 that we should be concerned or anxious for the things of the Lord. So that's anxiety in a positive sense. He also says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 that he has constant anxiety for the churches, constant concern for the churches. But I will say that's uh, not necessarily the norm. And in in my uh, translation of the Bible, which is the New American Standard, or in the NIV, I think in both those instances, they translate merimneo a little better as concerned based on the context of what Paul was going uh, going through, whereas anxiety in the English language connotes something that's uh, most often anxious uh, in a negative way. Just really quick, last night... uh, our dog at like 9.30 jumps on the window and starts barking like there's someone outside. And my wife screams and I have the baby, I like almost throw the baby down onto the bed and I go out in my, what you wear when you're about to go to bed as a guy, I book it outside the door. You know, I got goosebumps on my arm because I'm just, I'm alive and I just step outside and know what I was gonna find. Maybe that's a good anxiety, you know, it's a good concern that I had. But for the most part, what we're going to be thinking about today is the typical biblical understanding of anxiety, which is a a negative emotion that we want to move away from. And so here's our definition of anxiety that we'll be working with today that I I rooted primarily in in the text we're going to be in today in Matthew chapter 6. Anxiety is a feeling of fearful worry rooted in unbelief, in the providence and promises of God. And say it again. Anxiety is a feeling or emotion of fearful worry 
rooted in unbelief in the providence and promises of God. So by definition then, anxiety is a negative emotion that, and, and maybe even sinful emotion that we want to move away from. I'm not here to say where in your heart is that line where you move from having kind of a normal anxiety that then moves into this defiant unbelief, I'm not gonna trust God here. But there is a point when we cross that line and, and we are entering into sin and this unbelief in God. God, I don't trust you here. And isn't that what anxiety is? I'm choosing to not trust God's provision in my life. And therefore, this feeling of angst and worry and concern that's rooted in fear and doubt rather than belief in God's goodness and his promises. So it's a negative definition by Uh, a negative emotion by definition. This is what Charles Spurgeon said of anxiety. He said, it is so opposed to faith and to the life of God and the soul that it ought to be struggled with and driven out. None of us who are trusting in Christ ought to allow ourselves to become the victims of it. We, We gotta fight against this. Put up our fists and say no to anxiety. The best we know how in the power of the spirit of God as he informs us in his word. A couple caveats before we get into our, our scripture this morning. The first caveat is this. There are physical anxiety disorders, such as panic attacks, unusual phobias, obsessive compulsive disorder, PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder, social anxiety disorder, separation anxiety, that are conditions that actually might best be treated, might Um, be most wise to treat with medicine or professional counseling or therapy. And we want to remember that actually with a lot of these emotions, we are physical beings that are broken. And sometimes there's chemical imbalances and things that are off that just make you a more anxious person than someone else who doesn't struggle with those physical things. So I just want you to know if that's you today and you struggle with some of the physical anxiety disorders that I just listed or other ones, that maybe you're taking medicine for, you're going to therapy for, I want you to feel no shame in what we're talking about today and to know that you have something that in God's providence, he's allowed you to wrestle with, but it's, it's kind of outside of the definition that we're looking at today. I think there's probably overlap, would you agree, in our physical ailments of anxiety, these, some of the physical disorders that we might have with anxiety, and our spiritual element, where we can actually have some of the control and say, no, I'm not gonna let that dominate my thoughts. But just to have that as a caveat, there are some of you in this room who have physical anxiety disorders that might best be treated uh, with some of the, the medication or therapy Second caveat is this. Generally speaking, there's ordinary things that we can do, and this this is probably true for all emotions. There's general, ordinary things that we can do to help some of our anxieties, such as exercise, healthy diet, healthy routines. If you're in a bad living situation, that's gonna increase your anxiety naturally, and so getting out of that is going to help. Getting vitamin D, you know, sleeping plenty, My wife and I are not sleeping very much right now and it it causes extra anxiety. So there's just ordinary things that you and I can do that really will help. And maybe that's just a a common grace for you today. Just remember, go on a run, you know, go out in the sun for 10 minutes a day. There's some basic things that we can do uh, to help our anxiousness. But for our conversation today, I wanna look at the biblical expression of anxiety, which again, that definition we're looking at is a fearful worry rooted in unbelief in the providence and promises of God. I'm, I'm having a hard time trusting that God's going to provide here. 
and what he promises is true of me and him and, and his reality, I'm really wrestling to believe that. And because of that, I'm trying to take control. I'm trying to manage my situation and it's producing anxiety. Am I preaching to anybody today? Okay, anxiety, are you feeling it? Hopefully you're not feeling anxiety right now. Uh, we've prayed that that would not be the case as you leave this place. Anxiety comes in uh, all kinds of shapes and sizes, a lot of different forms of anxiety. Maybe you're anxious about a career and, and a future direction in your career. And like, will God use me in the, with the passions and giftings that I have? W- will he provide for me enough money to be able to live in my career? That's, a, that's an anxiety that you might wrestle with. Maybe there's an anxiety over a relationship that you're in. Is this from the Lord? Is this really God's will for me to be in this relationship? Or maybe there's a family relationship that's strained and it just causes anxiety when you walk into the room. Or maybe a friend that you have, there's just some strain, there's some anxiety there. Or maybe it's a future relationship that you would like to be in. Will God provide a spouse for me? Does he see me? Does he know I want a wife? Gosh, I can remember making decisions based on if that place would, if somehow I would meet my wife there in that place. I remember I had an opportunity, uh, at a pastoral job at a church, and the guy was talking to me about it, and I said, you know, I'll do it if you can find me a wife. <laughs> so, like, that was my lane. That's what I wanted to, and there's anxiety there. I can remember on my knees, weeping in my living room, God, where's my bride? Where's my wife? Maybe a good anxiety, I don't know, but I think there's like this worry, God, are you gonna provide me this spouse that I feel so passionately about that she's out there somewhere? like the Loch Ness Monster, you know. <laughs> Hopefully she doesn't represent the Loch Ness Monster, but. Yeah. I met Princess Jasmine, so we're, we're good. All right, we gotta move on. Maybe you're anxious about what others think about you. And, and for you, when you walk into a big room full of people, you are, you're just filled with anxiety. You, you just wonder, are people gonna like what I'm wearing? Are people gonna think I'm stupid when I say this or don't say that? Maybe that just floods your heart with, with worry and anxiety. Maybe about finances. Will the bills get paid? Are my kids going to eat? So we're anxious about a lot of different things. A couple last comments, and then I swear we're going to get into our time of teaching. I want you to know, saint, precious lamb of God, that anxiety is a very normal part of the human experience. It's very normal, very common. 1 Peter 5, 7, Peter says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He, d- he assumes that his readers have anxiety. When you have anxiety, cast it on the Lord. Psalm 94, 19, I love this psalm. It says, when anxious thoughts multiply within me, your consolations delight my soul. Not if anxious thoughts multiply within me. Hey, when they come, God, your comfort, your consolation delights my soul. One more Psalm, Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. Those thoughts are in there, the psalmist says, but I wanna learn to sift them. I wanna know how to feel them in the way that you would have me to feel them. So anxiety is a very normal part of human experience. No shame. I've not done my job today. If you walk out heavy-hearted, in shame, man, I've been, I've been anxious and I, that's not the purpose today. I hope you would feel encouraged today and built up and have peace. But anxiety is to be warred against. 
So like, it would not be good to say, well, it's just a normal part of human experience, so we're all just gonna wrestle with it. The Bible would sympathize with and commend, yeah, it's okay to be anxious, it's, it's normal to be anxious, but you gotta put up your fist and fight against it, war against anxiety. That as Christians, under the control of the Holy Spirit, we say no to anxiety and yes to peace in Jesus. Paul says in Philippians 4, 6, you'll remember the verse, be anxious sometimes if the circumstances are really difficult and it makes sense to be anxious. Of course you can be anxious. No. He says, be anxious for what? For nothing. He says, there's no good reason to be anxious. As Charles Spurgeon said, we ought not to be anxious. And so that's kind of just a couple caveats, kind of an introduction into our conversation about anxiety. Four times in the text that we're going to see today, Jesus says, don't be anxious. You shouldn't be anxious. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, or turn your Bible apps on to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be in verse 25 through 34, and this is kind of the Mount Everest of anxiety texts in our Bible. This is right in the middle of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. He's communicating to his apprentices, those who would want to be his apprentices, his disciples. This is what it looks like to be a disciple of mine, and, and it's not anxiety. And so today, we're gonna learn three cures for anxiety. Jesus is gonna give us three gospel medicines to our ailment of anxiety. I hope you're excited because there's so much good news here for us this morning. So much gospel, and I'm just really excited to get into it. So Matthew chapter 6, the first book of the New Testament, chapter 6, verse 25 through 34. Let's read together. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34. I'm reading through the New, uh, New American Standard. And it translates anxiety or anxiousness as worried here. Uh, but in the Greek, it's merimineo. It's the same uh, Greek word. So I'm going to translate it as anxious as I read through this. It says in verse 25, For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his life? What do you benefit from anxiety, Jesus said? And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory, clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Unbelief in God's providence. Verse 31, do not be anxious then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Isn't that true? Let's pray. Father, we come with hearts that are full of anxious thoughts. 
We just confess that, Lord, humbly right out of the gate. We need your mercy. We need your grace. We need your truth to set us free. Spirit of the living God, I pray that you would illuminate your word. Show us your truth. Bind up our wounds. Encourage us as your people. Help us to trust in you more. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first cure for anxiety that we're going to see today is the cure for anxiety, firstly, is understanding the true nature of life. Understanding the true nature of life. We're gonna see this in verse, 20, uh, in verse 25. What is the true nature of life? Like, what's life about? What is, what's the goal? Who is God? What's his purpose for me? Is it about getting more things, acquiring more money, having bigger status, bigger things, keeping up with the Joneses? Jesus is gonna first say that the cure for anxiety is getting underneath all of those shallow views of life that you and I are tempted to believe and to really understand the, the way that God describes life. You see, you and me, we heap pressures on ourselves that God never intended for us to heap on ourselves because we misunderstand why we're here. And therefore, we're anxious about all kinds of things that don't matter in, in God's world. So read with me again, verse 25. Jesus says, for this reason, he was speaking about you can't serve God and wealth. And for this reason, I say to you, do not be anxious about your life. There's our key word, as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now for you and me in 2021, in July, no, June, June 2021, it's kind of hard to understand the anxiousness over food and clothing and drink. We have water all around this building. We, our, most of our fridges and cupboards are packed with food. We have so many clothes that we just give them away to Goodwill or Salvation Army or throw them in the trash. So for us, it's kind of, there's a, a cultural gap here, but you have to remember that for Jesus's audience and Jesus's society, it was common to have shortages of food and drink and clothing. They couldn't run to Fred Meyers or to Macy's, right? They just, it was common for them to be uh, needing food and like out of food and have uh, food shortages. But nevertheless, Jesus is saying, even still, you're not to be anxious because life is more than those things. Life is so much more than these ordinary things. Uh, one theologian says, there is more to life than food. There is more to the body than its clothing. This attitude removes people from preoccupation with their own worldly success. It discourages the wealthy and comfortable from concentrating on their own success and the poor and uncomfortable from concentrating on their own misery. So it's a worldview shift. Jesus is saying, as my apprentices, those who are yoking up under me and are my disciples, I'm calling you to look at the world differently, to think about life differently. And this is what Jesus is calling to. So what is the nature of life? If it's not about the fading beauty of our physical fitness, our toys, our tools, for us guys, our Instagram status, if it's not about food and clothing and our career, like that's not ultimately what life is about, what is it about? 
Just several chapters later, Jesus says these words that you're familiar with. Whoever wishes to save his life, whoever wishes to save, preserve, keep his life in this realm, the way that the world wants to, where it's all about food and clothing and drink, career, job, status, you want to keep that kind of life, you're going to lose it. But then he follows up and says, whoever wishes to save his life, uh, whoever wishes to lose his life, uh, will, for my sake, will find it. So what he's saying is that when we choose to find life in dying to take up our cross and follow him and die in Christ and be raised to newness of life in him, that's where real life is found. And if you've met Jesus, your heart ought to be nodding and saying, yeah, that's true. When I stopped following my own view of life and pursuing my own pursuits and died in Christ and came to trust him for the first time and was made a brand new creature in him, and I actually began living in light of what God says is is true of life, what he says is important of life, a lot of the anxieties and the slough fell off because I'm not pursuing a life that is unreal. It's not the way that God designed life. So the cure for anxiety is, it's first and foremost, again, it's a worldview shift. It's understanding like, what is this life actually about? What is King Jesus actually calling me to? Because again, we can be heaping pressures on ourselves that God has never said we should as we think about our life. When Jasmine and I moved back into Grants Pass in February, we were excited that our house, even though it's in the, um, technically it's in city limits, it has a, a well. And we were excited. You know, we like drinking good water. But at that time, we were still awaiting our baby to come. And women, uh, you know this to be true, they get into nesting mode the last couple months before the baby comes. I felt the nesting a little bit, like we're having this baby, we gotta make sure everything's safe and good, but it's next level with women. They really are wanting to make sure that everything is just the way it should be. So we tested the water to make sure that our water wasn't poisoned, that it hasn't had pesticides in it and it doesn't have heavy metals and you could probably list another 10 things that we don't want in our water. So we tested it just to make sure that that water was pure. Sure enough, it is. We also did the lead, uh, lead test, lead paint test. Anyways, we want to make sure that the water we're drinking, the source that we're drawing from is pure, that it's good and it's not going to damage us. In the same way as Christians, we want to ask ourselves, what kind of wells are we getting our understanding of life from? Like how, the way I'm viewing life, my worldview, why do I have that? From what source am I drawing my view of life? I want to ask simple questions like, is it biblical? Is it informed by the word of God? Do they line up with the values of Jesus and his kingdom? Is this something Jesus would care about? Is this something Jesus would be wanting to press into? Uh, Are they helping me become more like Jesus? Are are they helping me shape my understanding of life as, as the way that God sees it? For a lot of us, we might kind of get out of the well our view of life from social media. This is what this girl has. This is what that guy has. So therefore, that's what my life must be like. Maybe it's a mom blog. That's, that's what life is supposed to be like. That's how she said it was supposed to be. That's what it should be for me. Maybe it's self-help books. Self-help books is a multi-million dollar business. This is what it looks like to self-help yourself. Maybe it's music, maybe it's podcasts, it's friends at schools, it's Fox, it's CNN. Where do you get your source? Like, what's your source? And is it polluted? 
The primary way that we get our understanding of life is what? It's the Bible. It's the word of God. This is where we must go to understand, like, what's my purpose? Like, really, like, really, really deep down, like, what does God want for me as his apprentice? What is it that I'm supposed to be living for? What are the things that are supposed to burden me and passion me and flame me? And what are the things that, you know, I, I don't really need to worry about that that much. I don't need to be anxious about that. I love Romans 12 too. It says, do not be conformed to the world. Do not be conformed to the way that the world thinks, feels, does things, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As Jesus' disciples, Jesus is first and uh, foremost, he's calling us to, to search out, is not life more than these things? We need to understand the true nature of life. And it's the word of God that slowly gets in and steeps in our brain. I think about Bible, reading the Bible as like making a cup of tea. If you make a hot cup of water, what happens when you put the tea bag in there? The tea diffuses into that hot water and that water takes on the elements of that tea. And so too, when we're reading the Bible, we're just like opening up our brains as the hot water that it is and we're just saying, God, would you steep your truth in my mind so that I actually begin to see life the way that you see it? What you're concerned about, the things that you say are important are actually informing the way that I see life, the way that I feel like these things should be important. So we would just ask ourselves, like what, are we taking in the Bible? Is that our primary source for life and what it's all about? Or is it news, social media? Is it what Joe said at work, you know? I'll say, if you don't know Jesus, you're not sure if you have this life the way that God defines it. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 12 that he who has the son has the life. It's as simple as that. If you have Jesus, you have life. And then it says he who does, uh, he who does not have the son does not have the life. It's when we take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow him, choosing to lose our lives for his sake when we find it. You say, you know what, Jesus, it's not about me. It's not about my way. It's not about the way that Joe at work says it is. It's what you say is important. I need to be forgiven of my sin. I need to have life in your son. So if you've not yet made that decision to trust and follow Jesus, that's where life begins. And watch, last week, David Modica, he shared his testimony. He said, when he came to know Jesus, it's like a, a weight was coming off of his shoulders. There's an anxiety, a burden that we carry that God wants to take up off our shoulders as we really truly come to understand life and, and what it's all about. So the cure for anxiety, firstly, is understanding the true nature of life. Secondly, the cure for anxiety is believing God's providence. The cure for anxiety is believing God's providence. I love the way that John Piper describes God's providence. God's providence is his purposeful sovereignty. God is sovereign. We believe that God is in control, right? But his providence means that he's actually purposefully in control, that he takes care of us. It's his infinite ability to provide for our every, every need with perfect heavenly father wisdom. That's God's providence. And as, as the people of this father, as the children of this dad, Jesus is saying, you guys, you gotta believe God's providence that he sees you and he knows how to take care of you. Look in verse 26. We're gonna see this in verse 26 through 32. 
Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. I actually picture birds being there as they're flying over. Jesus is spontaneously in the spirit. Hey, look at the birds of the air. That they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Love this question here. Are you not worth much more than they? Aren't you much more valuable, and yet your Father feeds them? One commentator says this, that what is prohibited is worry, not work. Even the birds have to spend a lot of energy in hunting or searching for their food, but the point is that it is there to be found. So we don't read this verse and say, oh, see, I don't need to worry about work. I'll live off the government. I'm just gonna, I don't have to work, but Paul actually says, if you're not willing to work, you're not willing to eat. Okay, so it's important. Like there's still energy that's being expended, but we're not worried. We're confident that God will provide our needs, that it's gonna be there. The food will be there, the, the housing, the shelter, the clothing will be there for us. Verse 27, and who of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So I love this. Jesus is comparing the way that God clothes the grass with flowers to the way that King Solomon clothed himself. If you remember in the Old Testament, King Solomon was the most wealthy, powerful, kind of pompous towards the end of his life, a king that Israel had ever seen, and really in the whole world. Do you remember he had apes and peacocks just to flex? Like just to be cool, like he had apes and peacocks? This guy was a, a guy full of splendor, but Jesus is saying even he, the most wealthy, powerful man in the whole world. He didn't even clothe himself as well as this field is with these flowers that, that your father clothed this field with. Will he not clothe you? And this is what the disciples needed to understand. Look at this phrase at the very end of verse 30. You of little faith, you of a weak faith, a small faith is what Jesus said. Three times in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus uses this almost exact phrase, you have little faith, he would say to his disciples. One time when they were on the, the sea and it was their, their boat was taking on water and you remember Jesus, not anxious, is taking a nap on the boat and they wake him up fearful and worried. Jesus, we're going down and he tells the, the sea to stop and he says, you have little faith. Uh, also when his uh, Kind of the chief guy, Peter, walked out on the water and he began to sink and he brought him back up out of the water and Jesus said, you have little faith. I'm thinking, that was pretty impressive. I don't know, it seemed like a lot of faith. Peter walked on water, but Jesus says, you have little faith. And, and one last time in Matthew 16 where the disciples were not understanding the teaching of Jesus's and, and he says, you have little faith. You, do, you don't understand these things. Verse 31 and 32. And that, by the way, is the primary verse the end of verse 30 that I got our definition from. It's a fearful worry rooted in unbelief. We don't believe God's providence. Verse 31, do not be anxious then, saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles, those who are outside of 
God's favor. Those who at this point hadn't been saved eagerly seek all these things. Like they're concerned about these things because they don't have a heavenly father. Oh, but it ought to be different for us who are the kids of God. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. I wanna pause and think about this phrase. Hear God's word to you. Hear Jesus's, our rabbi, our Messiah, our king, his words to you this morning. Your heavenly father, your heavenly father knows you need all these things. Like if we could just get that into our gut, church, oh my goodness. How much anxiety would just melt off of us? Your heavenly father knows Like he gets it. He really understands. He's not worried like, oh shoot, how are we gonna feed these guys? I didn't even think about it. Like is Ross open? Can we get him some clothes? (laughs) Like he's not worried about it. He knows that we need all these things. This omniscient, all-knowing, omnipotent, all-powerful heavenly father who created the Milky Way galaxy and puppies, who creates clothing and and birds and feeds them and clothes the grass, who numbers the hairs on our head and knows the breath, the exact number of breaths that we'll take in our life. He knows when we rise up and when we sit down, he's intimately acquainted with all our ways. He knows that we need all these things. I feel like I could just close my Bible and just end right here. I got more to say, but What if we could just get this deep down in our gut and believe this truth, this exacting degree of the providence of God? Your heavenly father knows. Church, he knows what you need. I'm preaching to Cody this morning. My goodness, we just had a baby. How do you do this thing? I got this little tiny human that I need to provide for now. But I know that I have a father who sees me And he sees you and he knows that we need all these things. He knows that you want and and need a spouse. He knows that you need that career to come through. He knows exactly what you need. And, And actually, you've probably thought about this. Imagine if God answered the prayers for that spouse or the person, that job you wanted. The prayers that he said no to was actually part of his providence too, right? He knows what we need. He knows exactly what we need. There's a, oh yeah, one, one commentator, I love this. He says, a true understanding of that phrase is the ultimate antidote to anxiety. So true. There was a time when Jesus' disciples were not able to cast out a demon, an evil spirit being out of this small, precious boy. And the, the father comes up to Jesus and is asking for help. And this little boy, because of this demon taking possession of his little life, he was unable to talk he would seize up on the ground. He would foam at the mouth. And his father ended up telling Jesus in Mark 9, like he even throws, the demon throws him into the fire. He tries to drown him in water. Can you imagine the turmoil as a parent that would cause, cause you? Your little boy is being thrown into fires by this demon. And this father, maybe full of anxiety, comes to Jesus, maybe tears in his eyes, He's so worried about his son. And he says this to Jesus, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Jesus, we've heard about you. 
please help. Is there anything you can do? And maybe you'll remember Jesus' words. Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. And I love this. I love the honesty of this man. This should be our heart cry too. It says, immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. I do believe. Help my unbelief. Help me to believe you. Gosh, this ought to mark us as we're thinking about anxiety. And Jesus says, you have little faith. We say, God, I have a little faith. There is a little faith there, but help me to have more. Help me to believe in you. I want to have more faith. And so maybe just this morning, your simple heart cry in response to what God has been saying to you is, God, I believe this exacting nature of your providence, that you know everything I need, and yet I need so much more belief in this. If I'm being honest, there's anxieties in me because I've not believed and trusted in your providence and your goodness, your fatherly care of me. And perhaps most important as we're thinking about God's providence and believing it for us personally, that he's our heavenly father and he provides for us. When we're doubting our heavenly father's provision for us, will he provide for me? Will he come through for what I, what I desperately need? We gotta look to the place where the father's most perfectly provided for us. And that is the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. God has provided a spotless lamb for you and me our chief need, our greatest eternal need that will cover for us salvation for infinity beyond into the future. So Paul, and he has this in his mind in Romans 8, this logical conclusion then is if God has provided his son, this is what he says, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Your heavenly father knows that you need these things. Paul, here, here just in paraphrase, this is what Paul is saying. He who provided his son to be crushed under the wrath that we deserve and raised him from the dead for the forgiveness of our sin, will he not provide our next meal? Will he not provide the career that we need to provide for our family? Is he not going to come through for us? Just love that. Like if you're doubting God's providence today and you're wondering, God, where are you? I've been waiting for this thing for years. I, I don't see where you're going to come through here. We look to the place where God has shouted his providence. That is in the cross of Christ. I am a provider God and I'm providing the Lamb of God for the sins of the world to be removed. And this is where we find our deepest confidence. And, and again, hear Paul's words again. If he's done this, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? I've heard it said like this. If someone gives you a Ferrari, won't they give you the keys? Wouldn't it be weird if they held out on the keys? Like, oh, sorry, that's another 50 bucks. The key fob, you know, it's a whole thing. No, they're gonna give you the keys to the Ferrari as well. And if God has provided the infinitely valuable son of God to take away our sin and to cleanse us, will he not provide our next meal and the things that we so desperately need? And he knows that we need them. So the cure for anxiety, firstly, is understanding the true nature of life. It's believing God's providence. And lastly, Jesus is funneling us to this concluding thought. The cure for anxiety is seeking God first.
the cure for anxiety, lastly, is seeking God first. He's our chief, supreme desire and the thing and the person that we're after. Read again with me, verse 33. Jesus, again, funneling us to this final thought, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So do not be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So what Jesus is saying is in contrast to the anxiety and the seeking of the Gentiles, remember in verse 32, the Gentiles eagerly seek after these things because they don't have a heavenly father. But for you, what should you be seeking? It's God. Seek God first and foremost is what Jesus is saying. It's his kingdom. That's his rule and his reign. It's his righteousness. That's his character that's given to us in Christ and then that we live out of. So we're, we're called here to almost, it's almost like taking the energy, the time, the angst that we put into our anxiousness and let it drive us to seek God. All the time we spend on the internet searching that thing and looking for this and I'm seeking these things, Jesus is saying, funnel it towards God. Look towards God. We're finding our first and foremost joy, delight, affection, affirmation, acceptance, sacrifice, all of that in God himself. This is my primary concern as a human being. This is my first and foremost. And that doesn't mean that uh, first chronologically necessarily, but it's a, it's a, a priority. It's first and foremost. And after Paul's famous words in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, he has a really similar thought. This is the way that Paul concludes his kind of thought on anxiety as well. In Philippians 4, 6, and 7, he says, do not be anxious about anything. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, supplication with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And listen to the way he uh, concludes his thought here. It's the same way that Jesus does. It's almost like he's an apprentice of Jesus or something. Really interesting. I'm being funny. That was, he was an apprentice of Jesus. <laughs> Making sure you, you caught that. Okay. He says, finally, brethren, right after that truth on the peace of God, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Think on these things. Seek God first. Because who is all of these things, pure, right, honorable, excellent, praiseworthy? Who is that? That's Jesus. That's our God. And so we're to dwell on these things, to put our minds intentionally, focus and discipline our minds and hearts to seek God first. He's the one I want. He's the ultimate joy and treasure that I know I need. Even though I don't want to, I want to want to. You tracking? Like I, I want to want this. So as disciples of Jesus, as those who are apprenticing under Jesus, we're slowly but surely learning to take our minds off of the anxiety, the seeking for clothes and food and drink, and we're beginning to place our minds on the things of God and God himself to the point where we're non-anxious, peaceful disciples of Jesus. Don't you want that? To be so heavenly minded 
that you are not anxious. In the words of Paul, it's to seek first, uh, no, Jesus said that. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So as, as we close, just I, I want to finish this way. As you zoom out on a typical day of your life, as you zoom out on a typical week or month, I want, I want us to ask ourselves this question. What priorities in my life compete for seeking God most supremely, which inevitably results in my anxiousness? So what priorities are competing with me seeking God first? As I zoom out on my week, my day, yeah, you know what? I've been spending eight hours of social, on social media a day. That's competing. You know, I play a ton of video games and that's fine, but gosh, I've been doing it so much that I'm not even thinking about God. When I wake up, the first thing I do is check my email, check my Facebook feed. It's, it's not a priority for me. And you might be thinking, I, you know, I just don't have the drive, Cody. It's just not in there. Or, you know, I, I don't have the time. My schedule's packed out. I got stuff going on. Kids have soccer. We're, we're in a busy season. Maybe it's, hey, I get the verse of the day. I'm fine. You know, I read my five-minute devotional. Let me just ask you, do you think of five? I want to tone this down a little. <laughs> Satan hates you. And he is a million times stronger than you. Are you confident that your verse of the day or your five minutes studying the word is going to carry you through a day without anxiety? Is that really gonna root you? I just wanna ask us that. Man, like, it's not just I have to do this or I, I, I should do this. I, I, I must. Otherwise, I will be an anxious, worryful, fearful mess. We all will. And we need to root ourselves in what God says is true and, and delight in him first and foremost C.S. Lewis wrote in, uh, he's a theologian and author, he wrote in 1941, Sam actually, I think, quoted this a few weeks ago. He said, if we can, uh, indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We have half-hearted desires, don't we, church? that lead us not into the presence of God, but into menial things that don't satisfy us and result in anxiety. One more quote, John Piper, he said, for many, Christianity has become the grinding out of general doctrinal laws from collection of biblical facts. Maybe you feel crunchy and dry today, and that like just described you. But he says, but childlike wonder and awe have died. The scenery and poetry and music of the majesty of God have dried up like a forgotten peach at the back of the refrigerator. 
man, maybe today just for you as we're funneling our thoughts right into this moment to seek God most supremely, maybe this is your cry today. Help me to see you as glorious. Help me to know that you are the treasure of the universe. Like you are the most worthy pursuit. Help me to seek you first. Help my anxiety to go away as I find you most valuable, most enjoyable, most adorable, most lovely. Jesus said to the church at Ephesus in Revelation, you have lost your first love. May God restore to us the scenery and poetry and music of the majesty of God so that we might impulsively get up in the morning and say, I just can't wait to see him again. I can't wait to hear his sweet, tender, kind, shepherding voice get into my heart and into my soul once again so that I might be carried along by this knowledge that God sees me He loves me. He is for me and not against me. And if he provided his son, every need I'll have today will be perfectly met because of his infinite fatherly wisdom. I feel like preaching today. Pretty excited about this. (laughs) I want to finish this way. And we don't always do this, but I want to finish this way. I want to ask that we close our eyes, close your Bibles, close our eyes and bow our heads And I just want to think through each one of these points and I want to just pause through each one of them and ask that you would search your heart. Psalm 139 verse 23 says, search me, O God, and know my anxious thoughts. So as we're with eyes closed and heads bowed, I want to run through these and just give us a a, a moment to reflect and respond in prayer.